So today is the today I'd like to talk about um, the Buddha's conception of reality and the Buddha's teaching on reality. Reality is, is something that is very important for uh, the practice of meditation, the practice of vipassana meditation. Because vipassana meditation is for the sole purpose of coming to see clearly, to understand reality. So we understand that the problem, the reason that we have problems, the reason that we have suffering is because we don't fully and clearly understand reality. Because we don't fully understand reality, we can't accept it as it is. So we always try to change it to force it, to keep it the way we want it. Wanting it to be something other than it is. Wanting things that are impossible to obtain. Holding on to things which are unable to satisfy us by their very nature. becoming upset at things which are not in and of themselves stressful or painful or suffering. Becoming upset and disappointed by things which are which are actually not intrinsically suffering themselves. Which there's no reason to become upset or disappointed. We become upset and disappointed about these things. Because we don't see reality as it is. So the Lord Buddha, one of the most important parts of the Lord Buddha's teaching is the explanation, the description, the teaching on reality. And reality in the Lord Buddha's teaching is split into four parts. are basically split into three parts. The first part is the mind and it's split into two parts which is uh, the mind itself and the qualities of, of the mind. And then there's the body or form, material and then 
and then there's nibbana or freedom freedom from freedom from body freedom from mind freedom of mind a state of release so in in re in basic reality is only three things mind matter and nibbana If we don't practice meditation, we can't understand this. We can't see how this is true. But when we look at the generally accepted uh, understanding of the nature of the world, we see that actually um, most people understand the world to be only one thing or many people anyway understand people who are not religious, scientists and so on understand the world to be only one thing and that is what we would call matter or they would say energy they would say the world is made up entirely of energy which can be concentrated in matter or can come in the form of light or so on but in the end there's only one one thing in reality and this is energy and then the many spiritual traditions or religious traditions of the world they add things like the soul uh, God They add in many and then many different concepts. So we have all these concepts which science denies, but we as people we understand to be real. For instance, we say, My house is real, my car is real, my family is real, my hand is a hand, my foot is a foot. And we have all these names for things, but science. Science also clearly shows that these are not really existing things. That these are simply names that we give to constructs. Names that we give to uh, formations. For instance, a house is, is not a house until you take all the lumber and all of the, the, the bricks or the, the shingles and the, the wood and the metal and so on. And you put it all together in the right way and it, it becomes a house. But you can take the same wood and uh, you can put it into in an, into together in another way, and you can make a barn with the same wood. So it's clear that the house doesn't really exist. All that exists is the wood, and then the wood doesn't even exist. It only is atoms, and then the atoms don't even exist. In the end, they're just energy, or in Buddhism, what we call matter. So there are many, many different ideas of, uh, of what, is, what is real. 
why reality is so important, why it's important to be clear about what is real, is because it's our misunderstanding of reality, our creation, our proliferation of, of constructs, concepts, ideas, where we create the idea that this is uh, a person or a place or a thing, me or mine. We give rise to all of these ideas and concepts. And this is what, what causes us to attach, to hold on. It causes us to suffer. So when, when we're engaged in the practice of meditation, we simply th see things as they are. We see things arising and ceasing, coming and going, changing all the time. And so there's no reason for us to attach to anything. This is why when we practice meditation, we feel so happy, so free, so pure. Because when we're really practicing meditation, there's no reason, we see no reason to hold on to anything. But as soon as we stop meditating, then uh, we go back to, uh, slip back into our old way of looking at things. We see things as me, as mine, as good, as bad. We don't see things clearly as they are. We, it's like our mind is all bent out of shape. And so we suffer. Our mind is confused. It's caught up in all sorts of wrong ways of looking at the world. So it does things like attach and hold on or run away or uh, chase away, push away. When really this is, this is simply because the mind is not straight, the mind is not clear. The mind doesn't have a clear understanding of reality. So it's important for us intellectually as well to understand what is the meaning of reality so we don't misunderstand when we practice. Maybe some people, uh, they can't understand that the pain is not mine and so they think I am in pain and then they get very angry and upset and they're not able to continue in the meditation because of their upset, their distress in the experience of the pain. But when we understand how it works, then we can see this in our meditation. We're able to open our hearts to the practice and we're able to accept the reality of the situation. When we can't control things to be the way we want, we think there's a problem because, because or we don't understand why this is because we believe in a self. We believe I am the one controlling. But when we come to understand what is reality, we see that actually there's no reason to say me or mine or I and then we're able to accept reality we're able to understand why it's not behaving the way we want it to the problem isn't that uh, it's going against against nature the problem is that uh, nature is uncontrollable the problem is that our, our want the wanting when the wanting arises this is a misunderstanding of it's based on a misunderstanding of the, the reality. So what are the, these, these things in reality? We have mind, we have body, we have Nibbana. So what are these three things? 
What is the nature of these three things? Mind, the meaning of mind is something which knows an object. And that's what this awareness which arises. So when the foot moves, there's an awareness of the foot moving. When the stomach rises, there's an awareness of the stomach rising. When there's a pain, there's an awareness of the pain. When there's a thought, then there's an awareness of the thought. And normally, this is why we think there's an I, because we see this continuous knowing, that at all times there's knowing. But actually, the knowing itself is, is impermanent. And if we practice carefully, we can see that actually it's different minds arising. There's no reason to say this knowing is the same as that knowing. Sometimes there's a liking of the object, sometimes there's a disliking of the object. But the, the mind is clearly, there's, there's nothing, there's no evidence to say that this mind is the same mind as this mind. One mind is the same mind as another mind, that it's continuously aware. Because the awareness of the foot moving is one kind of awareness. The awareness of the stomach moving is another kind of awareness. We have no direct evidence of, of anything else. And this is because there's, there is nothing else. There's an awareness which arises and ceases. And then another awareness arises and ceases. And these go together in a chain. and They come and they go and they come and they go. Sometimes we'll be focusing on the rising and the falling, only to suddenly realize that actually there's a new mind arisen. And even in the beginning, we're not aware that there's a new mind arisen. The mind is self-thinking, and it doesn't occur to us that we're thinking until another mind arises which says, hey, wait a minute, I'm supposed to be with the, the stomach. I'm supposed to be with the foot. And when this mind arises, then it catches and it realizes that another mind was thinking and then it's able to... Uh, give rise to another mind which is back at the stomach and so on. These, they go in, in terms of cause and effect. So the mind has, has a very simple nature of simply knowing an object. This is what is meant by mind and this clearly exists. And the mind, this mind arises at the eye sometimes, it arises at the ear sometimes, it arises at the nose, it arises at the tongue, it arises at some part of the body, and it arises at the in the mind sometimes. Sometimes aware of thoughts, aware of other minds and so on. And so in, in one way we can break down reality into our experience can be broken down into six six different uh, experiences. So obviously seeing is not the same as hearing, hearing is not the same as smelling, it's not the same as feel, or tasting, as, as feeling and thinking. Even, even though the tongue is a part of the body, when the taste sense arises, this isn't the same as a feeling. The, the feeling of the food touching the tongue is one thing, and the taste of the food is a different kind of thing. So this is, we, we break reality up into six parts. And by doing this, we help to, to break away much of our misunderstanding of, of, 
of the world around us. So that when we see things, we're able to break away this idea of it being good or bad. We're able to break away from even concepts such as uh, us and them, and uh, a person or, or, or an object or a possession or so on. Because we start to see that actually, even no matter what we own as our own belonging, our, our enjoyment of these things is still limited to the senses. And really there's no reason why these things are any more enjoyable than anything else. So we have something beautiful that we say is so beautiful and so we love it and we're attached to it. But when we come to practice meditation we can see that actually it's just light touching the eye. Just like any other light touching the eye. And there's no particular reason why this light should be better than this light. Even when we experience pain in the body, we come to realize that actually it's only our own uh, our own judgment that makes it unpleasant. Only a one, one other experience. It's the same as a pleasurable experience. There's nothing particular about it that makes it pleasurable. But why we dislike and why we like and dislike, this is the um, mental qualities or qualities of mind. This is the second reality. So mind is split into two parts. First we say, well, the, the mind is the, the, the characteristic of knowing. But the knowing can be colored by many different things. It can be colored by liking. It can be colored by disliking. And it has many different factors in it um, which, which make up the knowing or the process of knowing. So for instance, there's the feeling of the object maybe a neutral feeling or a happy feeling or a painful feeling an unhappy feeling maybe there's a liking or disliking then there's the recognition of the object as blue as yellow as a person or an animal and so there are many different qualities of mind which make which uh, make up this reality which we call knowing but in the, in the end when we start to look at reality we start to see that it's simply the, the knowing and the thing being known and we come to see this as arising and ceasing arising and ceasing we start to see that actually there is no mind there is no soul there is no self involved in the process that even the knowing is simply arises and ceases it's impermanent When we see this, we stop getting this attachment to me and to mine. Uh, we, so we lose this attachment in wanting to get things and possess things, wanting to enjoy certain things, and wanting to run away from certain things. We start to lose all interest in our old interest in experiencing certain things disappears because we see that we can't control the, the awareness. We start to see that we cannot force it so that we only see good things and we don't see bad things. We can't force it so that we only hear good things and not hear bad things and smell only good things, only good smells and not smell bad smells. Taste only good tasted tastes but not taste bad taste. We see that we can't control these things. We can't control reality. It has nothing to do with us. It has nothing to do with any I or me or mine. 
There's no I or mere mind involved in the process. And so there arises a new mind or a new set of minds which start to um, look at things differently. And these minds have a new quality to them. So the mind is the mind is the same in that it knows the object, but the qualities of mind are different. For instance, there's no liking or disliking which arises. This is the development of or the progress of meditation. As one progresses in meditation, we can say that one becomes less intoxicated by the objects which one experiences. As a result, the new minds are also full of, of much more peace. They're much more stable minds. The new awareness and, ex and the new experience is much more peaceful. So the, the most important part of reality is the mind. There is another part of reality which we accept in Buddhism. And we accept it because it has a different quality from the, from the mind. Even though all of experience, all of the reality which we can experience is, is based on the mind, there is some other, something else which allows us to uh, complete our, our explanation of reality. Without the, uh, this other um, factor, then we couldn't explain experience perfectly. And this other factor is matter. And this is where science, what, what science says is the only thing that exists. Because science, of course, is based on matter. It's based on external experiments and empirical data acquired through matter or through energy, using matter, using energy as the means of investigation. So when science says mind doesn't exist, it's only part of, of it's only a certain type of energy or it's only part of matter. It's because science cannot, by its very nature, approach the mind, of course, because the mind is not physical. It's not material. And so many scientists are very sure that the mind is just a, a concept, something which religion has created or our own ignorance has created. This is only because science has started from the basis of, of matter, started from the basis of, of physical things. And so, of course, because anything that falls outside of the physical realm, it's impossible for, for science to approach or to, to experiment on it. But it, it's, it's actually quite a ridiculous sort of uh, conclusion, because when we close our eyes, we can see that indeed mind does exist. And no matter that what science scientists say that it's only because of 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 matter that we have mind, we can say no. This is actually something quite different. Mind is something quite different that doesn't take up space, uh, that doesn't have any any form. It's simply a knowing, which exists. But Buddhism doesn't go to either extreme. Doesn't say that only mind exists. It doesn't say that only matter exists. It's it accepts the existence of both of them because they occur together. And so the mind which experiences matter is a different mind from the mind which experiences mind. It actually works in a different, in a different way. So when mind experiences matter, it's experiencing uh, generally through the body. So when we feel hot, this heat is, a ma is, a, is, is material. 
it's an it's an energy which science can perform experience experiments on because science uses um, uses the physical. So we can say yes, this is hot. Well, Buddhism says yes, this is hot. So heat does exist. Cold also exists. Of course, science explains it in, in one way, saying that it's just the the speed of the uh, the speed of the the electrons or the speed of the molecules or something like that. When the molecules are are, are moving moving rapidly, this is heat. When the molecules are, molecules are moving slowly, this is cold. So science will actually say that actually cold and heat don't exist. In Buddhism, we say they do exist. We say this is one of the four. Uh, building blocks of reality, and so I guess I suppose we're we're talking about what science would call uh, energy, uh, or or something one of the energies that science science admits exist. Uh, but from Buddhism, from a Buddhist point of view, we're looking at from the point of view of the experience of heat by the mind. When heat arises and the mind experiences it as hot or as cold. We say this is heat, this is cold, uh, and actually, Buddhist Abhidhamma doesn't separate them out either. It just says this is the element of heat. So you could say it's just the element of energy. Does it have energy or does it not have energy? It's not that there's two realities. One is cold, one is heat. It's the same reality, and it's just relative. And so it is in line with science. There is no discrepancy here in terms of. Buddhism being subjective or something. Uh, Buddhism talks about energy. And so it's what we experience. We say this is hot, we say this is cold. But it's because there's an element of energy there. And we can say that it, for sure this exists. We can experience it. We'll be sitting and we'll feel very hot. And then the mind can have different qualities of liking or disliking. And when we practice meditation, we say hot, hot, hot. The mind has new qualities. There's a new mind that arises with new qualities. If we want to see how the mind is is a working by itself based on cause and effect, we can just sit and say to ourselves, hot, hot, or cold, cold. And we can see the new the new minds which arise. They will arise by themselves, where they no longer dislike or they're no longer upset by the object. When we have pain, it's the same thing. We can see how yesterday we were saying pain and it, hurt, it was very upsetting to us. But then suddenly today the mind is, is inexplicably changed. And the explanation for it is that the, the minds which were mindful of the object, which were clearly aware of the object, give rise to new minds, which as a result of that clear awareness were no longer upset by the, by the pain so, or so on. So this is... Um, this is talking about first of all about heat talking about about matter now uh, talking about heat then we have uh, we have the solidity or rigidity the hardness the stiffness of an object this you might say is uh, the uh, I can't remember the exact scientific term that you might equate it with but it's something the the rigidity or the the um, uh, the force of an object. So when you when you feel something and it's hard or it feels soft, where it uh, reacts stiff, uh, where sorry where where it reacts as 
as solid or firm or it reacts as uh, malleable this is the element of of, uh, of earth let's say the earth element but it just simply means rigidity or, or hard being hard or being soft and then we have the the element of of air but the element of air means the pressure being stiff or being flaccid being strong or being weak sort of thing and then we have the water element which is an element which we can't actually experience but we know it exists because it's what keeps the elements together it's what keeps things together it could be something to do with gravity or, or it's the the, the pressure, the static, when how paint sticks to a wall, or so on. Why water sticks together when we see uh, we see water, we pour water out, and we see it sticking together, or we see surface tension on a bub on a uh, a drop of water, or so on. The fact that things stick together, this we call the element of water. And so we say these four elements exist in reality. And so Western science has given these four elements up, I think, a long time ago as, as sort of antiquated, something that the Greeks were very much interested in. But I think, I think it's most likely that the Greeks got this through their Buddhist contact in India or through, um, it may not have been the Buddhists directly, but through the same tradition of, of approaching reality from an experiential point of view. So science looks at this and says it's very uh, quaint and very simpli simplistic, not realizing that it, it is the very building blocks of reality as it can be experienced, uh, as it exists according to our experience of it. So it's simply another way of looking at the world. When we look at the world from an experiential point of view, or when we look at the world from an external point of view. When we look at the world from an external point of view, we're, we're limited to many sorts of constructs and concepts, and we're limited to very physical reality. And in fact, this physical reality doesn't reflect the true nature of, of experience, and so we, we find ourselves becoming very physical, very material, very attached to the material, material pleasures and uh, material understandings. Um, and so we come up with many, many theories, even, even our scientific theories. In the end, they have very great trouble explaining reality because they can only go so far and then they come to uh, something like a dead end where they can't really understand reality or it's not the way they thought. But we say that even three-dimensional reality is not uh, sufficient. It's, it's not re as real as we thought it was. Even to the point, as I've said before, that there are some physicists who say, actually, the universe is actually most likely just a single entity. It actually takes up no space. It's most likely permanent. It's most likely un uh, unchanging. It's most likely spaceless. And all that's happening is our experience of it is it's like refra ref refraction or something. And it's creating all of this and 
So in reality, actually, the universe is, is, is non-existent, is what they come to us on. And I think these, this is because many physicists have started to look at Eastern philosophies like Hinduism. and Of course, Hindu philosophy says that the world is, is one, or we are one, and so on. And this has become a very spiritual thing. Most people think Buddhism teaches this as well, that we are one, and uh, all is one, and so on, something like that. But Buddhism teaches reality as it exists. It doesn't have any uh, theoretical idea about something beyond experience. Buddhism doesn't have any, we don't have any interest, of course, because we're, we're trying to cure something. We're trying to heal our minds. We're not trying to come to an absolute answer you know, for how did the world arise, or when is it going to cease, or how big is the world, and so on. We're trying to fix a problem. We're trying to cure. We're trying to do something that's useful. Because it's terribly unuseful for us. It's completely unuseful for us to know when did the universe start, when will the universe cease, how big is the universe, and so on. These things are not helpful. But a scientific examination of experience is incredibly helpful, and this is what we can see through the practice. We can see that coming to understand reality is the most useful thing. Because this is what leads us to the third and the final uh, reality, and this is release or freedom, where the mind becomes straight, where the mind comes to see clearly. The, the reason that we give rise to more and more minds is because we uh, we hold on and we focus, we create friction, you could say. We're creating a kind of a stress. Uh, we're, we're making energy, we're creating more... Uh, we, we make, we, through our karma, through our intention, we create, we give rise to new minds. So when we get angry, for instance, we can say we create, we can see that we create many things. We create suffering here and now as we're angry. And we create suffering for other people. We create feelings of guilt. And we create many more minds into the future and much more attachment. As we get more and more angry, we start to do more and more things. and Our minds become more and more attached, more and more bent out of shape, more and more crazy. And as we start to practice mindfulness, we see our mind starting to let go, starting to give up, starting to become less and less and less and less and less, to the point where the mind no longer runs around, no longer reaches out. And we find our lives becoming simpler and simpler, less and less complicated, less and less uh, uh, stressful. We find ourselves becoming more and more peaceful all the time. And as we do this more and more and more, we, our minds eventually just let go. And we're able to give up this world. We're able to give up uh, sensual experience. We're able to give up uh, any, sort of, um, any sort of experience whatsoever, really, in terms of seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, feeling, or thinking. Any sort of impermanence is given up. And so we become, or you could say experience becomes a permanent, it becomes, enters into an, a state of being which is not impermanent, which is not stressful, which, uh, which is, is free from suffering. 
And so this is what we call Nibbana. Nibbana is, is freedom or it means release. It's when we finally let go. And we do this simply through understanding reality. We're coming to see that actually all that exists is the mind and the object of experience, which can be either the body or it can be another mind when we're thinking, for instance. When we realize the last mind, the new mind arises saying, oh, that mind was this or this or this. When a feeling arises in the body, then a new mind arises and says, there's a feeling. And all we're doing is, because we don't see this, because we don't understand this, it's like these minds that arise, they're like dark minds, like unclear minds, minds without without light. And we can see this is how it really feels when we practice meditation. When we practice meditation, it's like shining a light on. Many people who have practiced tranquility meditation before are, are often shocked by the clarity of mind that comes through vipassana meditation. They may have practiced meditation for a long time, and only now are they shocked in, by seeing that how clear the mind becomes when you practice vipassana meditation. How you have to see so much more of, of reality. Uh, how it's like waking up. Of course, even more for those people who have never practiced meditation, it's a real wake-up call. Where they come to see many things about them that they didn't realize, that they had no clue. This is because the minds that were arising were like, like uh, sleeping minds. Minds that were only half awake. When we practice meditation, our mind becomes more and more awake, more and more alert, and we're able to see reality more and more clearly. So this is the, the teaching that I'd like to give today, just to help us to understand what do we mean by reality. It's actually very, very little in regards to what is really and truly real. Most of our reality is based on concept. Most of it's based on, on our own illusion or misunderstanding of reality. So we create all these ideas of, of heaven, of hell, of God, of this, of that, based on a misunderstanding of experience, a misunderstanding of reality. When we come to see that reality is experiential, when we come to sort out many of the misunderstandings, and as a result many of the attachments, until finally we're able to do away with all our misunderstandings and all of our attachments. When we do away with all of these, then we live in peace and happiness and eventually uh, realize for ourselves total freedom from suffering. So I'd like to encourage everyone to please continue on your path of practice so that we can all for ourselves realize complete freedom from suffering. Thank you. That's, the, that's all for today.